episode of the Habibis, three Arab game developers drinking good Arab tea. My name is Rami Ismail. I'm your host for this episode. And I'm Osama Dorias. And I'm Fauzi Mesmore. And I want to jump the gun this time. Oh, Because last week we didn't get the chance to talk about the stuff. Uh, <laughs> 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 we get the chance to talk about the stuff that we did that we watched. So I thought like, maybe like, I just jump right into it immediately okay. before we get derailed. Yeah. Fair <laughs> enough, fair enough. And then if it ever gets to some, uh, you know... <laughs> 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 if he if he gets his chance, we'll see. Otherwise, we'll save it to next week. Who knows? Uh, <laughs> Who knows? <laughs> so no I have it. I have a game. I want to talk about a movie and a TV series. I want to talk okay, well rounded. Uh, so, like you know, uh, grabbing a bunch of stuff from from two weeks worth of material here. Uh, <laughs> 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 All right, let's talk about the game first. The game I want to talk about is called the Famicom Detective Club. You guys heard about well, this game? Yep, mm-hmm. I have and, not. No. It's uh um so this game um there's there's a bit of the, the, there's a bit of a historical piece beyond this game. This game is basically two games. One is called The Missing Heir and the other is called The Girl Who Stands Behind. Hmm. Those are Japanese adventure games that initially were released in 1988. Wow. That has uh, never had um uh, a release in the West before. An official release. There's been like you know fan translations and stuff like that, but mm-hmm. this is the first time uh, they they get an official release on the Nintendo Switch. Um, it's also um, a complete remake of those games. Hmm. Uh, the interesting factor about those is that um, uh, both of these games were the first um, uh, writing uh, on one of the one of the f- uh, earlier projects for uh, Yoshio Sa- Sa- Sakamoto. Oh wow. Um, so that's like you know, before he started working on Metroid and all of these games. Um, these are the games that he started working on before, and I think it's amongst his first writing credits, if not his first writing credit. I think it was the first one, yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. So it's a, it's a it's an interesting game for its um, historical significance. I think. Uh, is it a visual I'll, novel? Like I'm looking at screenshots. That's what it looks like to me. But it's it is like I mean, it's a Japanese adventure game. It is like a visual novel in mm. uh, in the terms of uh, there is a little bit of puzzles to to solve in like an mm. adventure game kind of way. You need to look at various areas in the different screens, try to find clues, and then talk to people about those clues in order for you to progress to. Um, to the other screen where you could do the same, basically. Hmm. Um, it's <laughs> it's it's one of those things that's like like I am excited to play it just because of um, you know like I mentioned earlier the historical significance and whatnot. But um, uh, yeah, it's a product of its time. That's <laughs> that's for sure. <laughs> the, the writing is also kind of a product of its time. So like in one of the games, I don't want to spoil much, but I just want to illustrate this point here. In one of the games, like you wake up as a protagonist who has um, apparently fell off a cliff and shocked everybody, lost their memory. Right. And then, like you know, another character finds you and you go like, "Oh, you you're you seem like to have fell off a cliff and lost your memory. It's okay. I'll take you back home <laughs> to nurse you back to health." No, nobody thought about calling the ambulance at this point. <laughs> right. So you come to and you were like, oh, thank you for taking me home, strange man, and taking care of me. Um, but I still don't remember anything. So I want to go back to where I originally fell off the cliff and see if I can find any clues. 
But uh, is it just the premise that's a little out of that, or, or no, no, does the story can everything, everything about it? Okay. it. Everything about <laughs> it is um, is like within the same veins of ridiculousness as I just mentioned. <laughs> uh, but yeah, but I have I have a soft spot for these things, um, and for for people that were waiting to play in this game, I'm happy that they get the opportunity to play. Right, they would have been waiting since like what nineteen. 19- Something 80, like that. 86. <laughs> I think those games are older than me. Yeah, the way they're super old. Yeah, yeah. Right. Yeah, like, did, you, did you just call me super old? <laughs> no, it's the other way around. Those games are older than you, so the game <laughs> right. is super old. Right. Basically, I'm, he's I'm calling me just, super old because I'm older than you. Osama's super old, yeah, for sure. <laughs> Osama's our wise elder, anyway. I'll, I'll, I've never been called that before, but I'll take it. Thank you. Good. <laughs> <laughs> Young. Usually yeah, goofball or, you know, something like that. Those are adjectives yeah. I'm more used to. This is for for the show. <laughs> Thank you. All right. Um, the movie. Uh, the movie, yes. yes. I, saw, I saw a Danish movie called Another Round. <laughs> I thought for a moment the movie was called A Danish Movie. A Danish that, sounds, <laughs> that sounds so reasonable to me that a Danish company would make a movie called A Danish Movie. <laughs> is, is, it because, is it because they have a pastry called The Danish? Right. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so, sorry, what was the name of the movie? <laughs> the movie is called Another Round. Another Round. Um, that also sounds pretty Danish. Yeah, round think, or Realm? Round, as wow. in the, like you know, rounded drinks. I think right. the, the Danish oh, name is druk, if I'm pronouncing it correctly. It's uh, it means uh, something like binge drinking. Mm-hmm. Um, this is a movie that won uh, best uh, foreign movie uh, Oscar this year, and it was uh, it was nominated for best director and also nominated for best picture, hmm. and it was uh, also nominated for the Golden Globe for best uh, foreign uh, movie. And ended up taking the Oscar for that. Uh, I really, really enjoyed this movie. It's uh, it's very haram, of course, because there's a lot of <laughs> drinking involved. <laughs> Maximum haram. <laughs> so uh, it's um, it's a group of school teachers um, that basically um, they um, at the dinner at some point they have they're discussing um, um, a Danish psych- a psychiatrist. I don't want to pronounce his name because it's one of those um, really difficult to pronounce letters, like A's with circles on them and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Uh, <laughs> um, that psychiatrist is saying that uh, that uh, he theorizes that uh, we are we are uh, living our lives with uh, uh, we should have the basic alcohol content in our blood of 0.05 percent that will allow us to be more creative and relaxed. So uh, those those all teachers, I think they were celebrating one of their uh, colleagues' fortieth uh, birthday party. They decide to um, to do a study for science if they can just all be drunk the entire time, basically, and see how that affects their lives and um, and their teaching methods. <laughs> uh, so it's uh, sounds it's like a nightmare a, to me, to be quite honest. It is. It's 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 it's. it's it's like a it's a movie like that kind of jumps a bit between comedy and drama. The premise mm-hmm. is obviously ridiculous. Like you know, um, yeah. just the, the minute you discuss it, you go like, we should try that, and you go like, that will lead to alcoholism, probably. <laughs> um, it's like you know the two logical uh, reactions uh, conclusions that uh, any uh, you know adult will come to 
as mm. you start discussing these things. But ultimately, the movie is about uh, you know four four people uh, trying to deal with their demons in some way, and kind of like desperate to reach into certain parts of their lives that they're um, that they find um, solace in uh, mm. in substance abuse in some way. Uh, I'm not going to go more about what that is because I do believe that it's. Um, I don't want to go into spoiler territory. It's something that's no. uh, worth enjoying. It's uh, yeah, it's a very very emotional and touching movie. I, I enjoyed it quite a bit. It's. Uh, I, I yeah. recognize the main actor, Mads Mikkelsen. I didn't, I, I didn't exactly. know his name before looking it up, but he's like a character actor in a lot of movies. He does. That's true. A lot of, yeah, and and games, right? And um, games, yeah. yeah. He was on De- in Death Stranding. Is in Death Stranding. The voice, yeah. That's yeah, pretty yeah. cool. No, he's a, he's a really good actor. I like I like his stuff quite a bit. Um, and yeah, uh, uh, I think when he's like acting in his uh, native language, just like allows him to just uh, give it his all. So I thought he was absolutely brilliant in this movie. Mm. That's great. Uh, okay. Yeah, no, highly enjoyed it. Um, very very uh, very good, um, very good movie. Uh, I'm not gonna. I feel like I've been talking for hours, so I'm gonna like you know, quickly just talk about uh, Love, Death, and Robots. I watched the first season uh, and uh, back when it came out, and I've just finished watching the second season. Um, right? How is it? I mean, I, I, you guys know what that know. is, right? No, yeah. no, I know Netflix. No, never heard of it. But the <laughs> series Netflix is just like this is DVD I've seen the first season. Yeah, it's <laughs> it's kind of it's kind of like Game Pass, but for TV, right? <laughs> exactly. That's right. It's, it's not as micro- good as Game Pass, but it's pretty good. No, it's no, it's not there. as good as it's the Microsoft <laughs> of TV shows. Uh, <laughs> <right>. <laughs> I love it. I, I've seen the first season. Yeah, uh, I've seen the first season, and yeah. that was honestly pretty good. Yeah, yeah. I liked it. So, it, like the first season for me. Uh, I think it was uh, made by Blur Studios. Um, and Blur Studios is like a VFX and animation uh, studio that do so much in uh, games to movies to everything. Like they've done cinematic trailers for um, like Batman Arkham City, um, Halo, uh, Star Wars The Old Republic, all sorts of like different stuff. And they also like, you know, uh, they make CG sequences for movies like The Girl with the Dragon Tattoo and all sorts of stuff. And uh, I think like if I would summarize what Love, Death and Robots is, is that um, Netflix went to those guys and were like, we give you money and you just uh, make um, a bunch of small episodes about anything you want and tell your teams to go wild in terms of uh, creativity and uh, artistic and technical showcase. Right. And um, we want every episode to have nothing to do with the other. You can be as uh, gory or R-rated as you want, basically. Uh, first season was 18 episodes. Um, they, they vary between 5 to 20 minutes. And like um, every every uh, every episode is like you know a, a team going like we're just gonna go bonkers and do whatever we want. Uh, season two is eight episodes and it continues this tradition. Um, you know what it reminds me of? Yeah. Um, remember the Animatrix that came out around? Oh the same yeah, time oh the yeah, yeah. Uh, Animatrix. Mm-hmm. It is. Yeah. That's a really good uh, analogy. Right. Osama. Yeah, it's very close. Very Thank very you. close. 
And which like that's around the same theme, but like every episode is like this artistic tour de force in a direction. And for better or worse, um, I think in both seasons they share the same things. They're all artistically and visually stunning. Yeah. Um, but you know the I I think the writing and the um, and the storytelling is a hit or miss. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> Some Absolutely. episodes are fun to watch. Some episodes don't make sense. A lot of them, like, finish you go like, that was, mm, I don't know. Um, but, <laughs> but like, the, the but... entire time you watch it, you go like, that's some good art. Yeah. <laughs> right. Yes. Yes. It makes I mean, me think the... of sometimes, like, uh, it would be cool if, like, um, there was a video game equivalent of this, mm-hmm. of which, like, let's get every, every, like, major studio in the industry and ask them to make a 15-minute game. And then no. make a make a season out of that. But yeah, I think that's that really one of the the defining things of Love That Robots is even if an episode is not good, it's like ten minutes. Yeah. Oh yeah. So whatever yeah. you know, like if it's not good, you see pretty things hit your eyeballs for like ten minutes, and then you're like, well, that wasn't great. Yeah. But it's okay. Yeah. Um, there but used you to know, be like Chain Jam, by the way. Have you heard of that? Was it change jam? Chain jam, like oh. a chain, like things chained to each other. No, yeah. it was this indie idea where there would be a number of rules of um, the save file of how a save file was structured uh-huh. and what you could save into the save file, and then every game in that jam had to use the same save file, but you could do with the data in it whatever you wanted. That's incredible. That's, I love that idea. So Whoa, it would so load cool. from that save game and it would save back to that save game and it, there would be rules as to how that would work. Uh, but beyond that, uh, you could do whatever you want. So some people would load the data in and make it a car. Some people would load the data in and then save it and then load the data in in another game and it would be a platformer and then save it and then narrative. And then that was oh, it. Okay. There was just like these definitions of what each value in the save game were, and then you can I do it whatever it. you want. It was what so what good. came out of that? I would love to play. Uh, mostly nonsense as <laughs> usual, but uh, it was it was really cool. Yeah, I was gonna say the closest thing to this that, that from video games that I know of is uh, Double Fine's Amnesia Fortnite, where they made a whole bunch oh, of yeah. little game jams from their studio and released them on Steam. I remember playing them back then. They were all like short, five, fifteen minute experiences some of which went on to become either very similar or very different games. Like I remember right. uh, one of them, which was a, a, a game, quote unquote, more of an experience that I played with my kids where it was like uh, monsters playing musical instruments, which became the Sesame Street Connect game that I also bought and played with my kids. So that was a great experience I carried over. Uh, but yeah, so it did we, exist we to do, some level. We do something similar in my current studio in which like uh, we have uh, hack weeks uh, occasionally. Yeah. And, right. we, and when we're doing those hack weeks, there's a game jam included. And then like a bunch of people just team up and start making some cool games. And then usually by the end of the the game jam, we just publish those games on uh, on our website for anybody to right. kind of like play and check out. Some yeah, cool stuff that kind of stuff is fun. Yeah, I mean, so game fun. jams can be so fun. Um, I've organized a few. One of my favorite, I mean, the, the, one of the favorite ones I organized was called F This Jam. Mm. Uh, where the entire point of the jam was to make games in a genre you hate. Mm. Okay, and it was yeah, really, cool. really fun. It was really, really fun. So many people came up with... A lot of sports games got made, because it turns out <laughs> indie games, indie game developers tend to not like sports games very much. Hmm. Uh, racing games, lots of racing games. Um, 
That's so interesting. I, yeah. I don't know which genre I would pick as the one I don't like. I think I pretty much like a few games in every genre. There must be the one genre where you're like, you know, that's just kind of not my thing. I wouldn't make yeah. something like well, that. Like that, that's kind of the thing. My instinct normally would be walking simulators, but and yet some of the walking simulators I play are some of my favorite games. It's just in general, yeah. it's not a thing. Like I'm, I'm passionate about gameplay. And the ones that are just walk through the scene and will tell you a story are not less my jam. And yet, I, I really love the Stanley Parable, for example. So, right. like, yeah, there's always the exception to a rule. But like, for for even like, I I guess I'm the. Exception I would play an Osama walking simulator. <laughs> yeah, I'd make one just for you, both of you. That was okay. a cool idea. Right. <laughs> let's do it. Let's do it. He'll be dropping <laughs> wisdom at us as we're walking by. Right. As- right. <laughs> <laughs> The honorable Goofy elder wisdom, Osama. Right? Yeah, absolutely. The Wait, what, is, what would Fuzzy make? Fuzzy, what would you make? What is your What is your anti-genre? Like, I start to think, like, what kind of genre that wouldn't... Like, a hockey game? Maybe because I don't understand hockey. Hockey? <laughs> oh, that's, that's baseball for me. Yeah. Yeah. Baseball. Yeah, the, well, I mean, you can't say hockey because Osama's here. Yeah, I, I actually like, used to love... I, I played hockey, but I used to love watching hockey too. I, I used to love playing baseball, but not but watching. I, I don't get. <laughs> I don't understand baseball. Yeah. Danny, I, I I genuinely do not understand the sport. Like, and you know the worst thing about baseball is that one of the inventors of it looks just like me, <laughs> to the point where Frank Lanz at the NYU um, used to joke. I was the butt of a joke where he sh- where he said that game developers haven't changed looks in centuries and then we just put the photo of the guy that invented baseball and a photo of me right next to each other and it's like the same it looks the same it's ridiculous oh my god that's um, nice but, but, but I, don't get, I can't find him what's his name i genuinely can't I, I don't remember this is a frank lance thing ask him but Rami, um, i think you would make the hell out of an anime baseball game oh yeah no, but that's the thing like baseball as a game I don't get baseball as a game because it's like, okay, I get American, I get American football, right? Wow. It's, mm-hmm. but you know, it's lots of starting and stopping, which I'm not a huge fan of, right? Wow. But then baseball, it is this entirely static sport where there is like a burst of like five seconds of stuff happening, and then in between, everybody is trying to cheat. <laughs> but within the rules it's very american and then you just sit there and like from what i understand from people that really love baseball the point of baseball is that you can eat chicken wings while watching it <laughs> while playing <And> that's it. <laughs> depending on your position <laughs> it could be like some of these guys don't look athletic to me i'll tell you that much. just standing there <laughs> but okay to be fair there is like in every sport there's incredible athleticism in it sometimes i saw this amazing catch the other day of somebody who jumped hit a fence in the jump flipped over and mid flip caught the ball and then landed outside of the field and there was a big discussion over whether that was still a home run or not yeah. um, because she landed outside of the field it was an incredible catch uh, but that's the thing like i see that the best moments of baseball are very intense, very interesting, and, and yes. but like, but my even God. the quiet moments, like the amount of spatial awareness that you're you have to have at any given point if you're on the field in baseball is higher than any other sport, in my opinion. I've played basketball, soccer, hockey, and I've played baseball, and in baseball you have to always constantly know where every other player is, otherwise they're going to steal a base. So it's it's this 
I'm looking at the person in front of me and I'm looking around constantly. So even if they're not necessarily moving, they're there. They don't like they're, right. they're there. They're present. I deeply respect it, but I don't get it. Yeah, that's okay. I just I, I don't understand it. Like hockey, I get hockey. Yeah, hockey's yeah, like yeah, soccer yeah, yeah. on skates, right? Right, it's, it's soccer on skates, and the Canadians <laughs> like it. Like, okay, fair <laughs> enough. Um, and then I get soccer, I get tennis, I get badminton, yeah. I get uh, uh, the all the Olympic sports except for the triple jump. I don't understand the triple jump. Very impressive, <laughs> but what? Um, do you get? Do you get? Um, oh, sorry, uh, cricket. I get cricket, yeah. Squash, How did you get cricket or... and you don't get baseball? I get That's cricket what I and I don't get cricket at the same time. <laughs> I understand the rules, but I can't understand how people would watch a game for a week or something like that. There's an amazing Dutch sport called Fjörlepa. And it is effectively, you know, um, um, uh, pole vaulting? Yeah. Okay. So, so it's pole vaulting if it was over... Volcanoes. Or, a river. Oh, okay. That's still cool. And, what? And, and you don't start. You don't start at the end of the. So with pole vaulting, you start at the end of the stick, right? Yeah, you right. put you put one end in the ground, and then you put the other end is in your hands. Yeah. And then you launch yourself over it. With fuel yapa, you start kind of like in the middle of the stick, and then as you go up, you're climbing up in the stick. What? And then from the highest point, kind of like launching yourself to the other side of the river. So you're dropping down from like seven or eight meters high. So I don't know if it's seven or eight, but like from quite a bit high, you launch yourself over the water. And I'm just like, this is literally the dumbest thing I've seen anybody do with their body <laughs> in my entire life. Wow. Uh, but it's a sport in, in North Netherlands, in Friesland. I just um, looked it up, and after spelling it wrong three times, I just typed in Netherlands pole jumping, and I found it. And right. yeah, it's, it's just as ridiculous as you're describing. You, they're, they're literally climbing the pole as they're launching over. The, like, I don't understand how the physics work. Uh, if I, if this happened in a video game, I would file a bug report with the <laughs> physics. That's hilarious, yeah. and the black and white pictures of this yeah. is even more. Yeah. It's oh, like yeah. it's, it's like, like the, the best episode of Al Hassan, actually. Right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So those 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 happen. Oh, anyway, that's I, hilarious. Back to games. Yeah, okay, okay, okay. Um, you see, self-fulfilling um, prophecy. I knew this was going to happen. I knew it. <laughs> All right. um, well, I don't have much, so that's easy. I, I played more Mass Effect. Uh, I, I've made it halfway through Mass uh, No, I'm, I'm near the end of Mass Effect 2. Mm. I'm wrapping up on... Uh, I've wrapped up on all the loyalty missions, except for one. I've done most of the side quests. Um, you know what really has been a treat, though? So I played Mass Effect 1 when it came out. I played Mass Effect 2 when it came out. And I played Mass Effect 3 when it came out. And never touched them again. Right? Mm-hmm. Um, so I've never played any of the DLCs. Ooh, tell me about the DLCs. I haven't either. <laughs> yeah, me either. And they're so good. At least, I don't know whether they're good for Mass Effect 3. The Mass Effect 1 DLC is called um, Asteroid X57 or something. And it's okay. It's, it's a beautiful environment, uh, especially for Mass Effect 1 sort of era. And it's a pretty good mission. Uh, but the Mass Effect 2 ones are, most of them are incredible. Okay. So you've got one called Overlord, 
uh, which is uh, it's a bit uncomfortable. It's clearly 2010 writing. It's a little ab- well, little. It's pretty ableist, mm. um, but the atmosphere is incredibly well done. This um, hostile intelligence has taken over a base and is just messing with you. Mm-hmm. And there's like a VR battle and there's like all sorts of stuff happening. It's in this, this beautiful planet that you can race around in a vehicle. The vehicle is as bad as the, it's worse than the Mako, honestly. <laughs> but the, um, the, the environment is beautiful. Um, there's two new characters, Saeed, uh, Masani and uh, Kasumi Goto. What? There's uh, an Arab character? That sounds Arabic. Said Masani. Uh, I wish he was more interested, given his name, but he's basically grumpy mercenary man. And uh, Kasumi is Japanese kleptomaniac girl. Okay. Uh, she's pretty cool. She kind of, she's kind of like the, the the stealthy, sneaky one that knows everything happening in the ship at any given point. So she can tell you all sorts of like little secrets and interactions the other characters are having, which is kind of cute. You know, hearing how people are reacting to things. But I but I have to give it the there is this. There's this DLC called um, Lair of the Shadow Broker, mm-hmm. uh-huh. and it might be the best DLC I've played in my life. Is it the same oh, Shadow uh, Broker from Mass Effect 1? So, yeah, it's the Shadow Broker, and it, it tells the story of... It basically tells the story of what happened uh, to... Uh, with minor spoilers here, um, it tells the story of what happens with Liara between Mass Effect uh, 1 and Mass Effect 2, and you kind of go on an adventure with her. It's incredibly well written. Uh, it, it kind of goes from like espionage to thriller to just completely bonkers sci-fi battles. Mm-hmm. Um, beautiful environments, really, really creative uh, and really fun to have Liara around. Uh, so it was just, it's just very, very good. I, when the mission started, I realized that I hadn't played it yet. And I'm like, this is new from that point to the moment that DLC wrapped up. I just had a giant grin on my face. So my, my main question to you, I'm just curious what the setup is for the DLC. Cause you just mentioned that the mission started before you were, you realized you were playing DLC content. Mm-hmm. Uh, is that really how the DLCs felt? They felt like if you didn't know, if you've never played Mass Effect 2, you wouldn't know what's DLC and what is Yeah, you wouldn't. There is no way to know. The The okay. only way you could tell is that the two DLC characters, that you get them immediately at the start, basically. Like, their their missions open up immediately in kind of a weird way compared to all the other ones. Like, okay. Zaid, you just walk into and he just goes like, oh, yeah, I'll join you. Um <laughs> And um, and then he has a because he's a mercenary, like he just gets paid, so he's happy. Uh, and their loyalty missions are available right from the start. Like that, that's really the only thing that's like that's weird. Why would they be? But in terms of the missions, no, I think it will be really hard to to tell. Um, yeah, maybe I, I get that by the way, because if you're like buying a DLC. You don't want to have anything between you and uh, enjoying that yeah, DLC. The DLC. So, yeah, exactly. So it, it makes sense, uh, uh, game design wise, why they would do it that way. But yeah, you're right. It does feel odd for someone playing it for the first time. Not There'll also be that. a lot of like you know dependencies if you want to stick it in the middle somewhere, and uh, it, yeah. it, it just might break so many things. It, it, yeah, it, right. It, it's very complicated. Yeah. No, it makes sense. It. I mean, I would honestly, I would have liked if the loyalty missions had the same blocker because everybody's loyalty mission in Mass Effect 2 has has a mission that you need to complete before you can start on those. Mm-hmm. Um, so I would have liked to have that same blocker. 
But yeah, it's a little weird. Like it, that's the only thing. Like the the DLC missions are obviously missions, and they're obviously visible on the map from the very start of the game. So you're getting all these like end of universe sort of threats uh, <laughs> thrown at you in like the opening emails, and you're like, okay, so the, the universe is ending in these seven different ways. That seems bad. Mm-hmm. But the quality, the quality, honestly, is really really impressive. I uh, I'm very excited for the Mass Effect three DLCs. I've heard that there's one particular one that is dearly beloved by almost everybody. So I'm I'm excited. There's apparently also one that I should play for Mass Effect two after I complete the campaign. So I am I'm getting ready for my uh, for my for my uh, end of campaign trip, which is to me honestly that's the part of Mass Effect Two that that is burned into my memory and will never will never let go. So I'm very excited to to replay the end of Mass Effect Two. I'm still in Mass Effect One. I'm a, about halfway through. Uh, I play at a slower pace. Uh, lots of things. Um, lots of reasons. It's, it's very exciting to watch this race between you and my mom. <laughs> <laughs> she, she's gonna win she's gonna win she's no- she's, she's at she's completed two of the three main missions now <laughs> well it's not a competition she's gonna beat me and that's why i'm uh. with that <laughs> what's really interesting to me two things the first is that um i i played mass effect in uh, the, the when they came out in a similar way as i play them now i was you know in the industry super busy crunching at the time that mass effect one came out uh so i had like little pockets that i could play and i then was I had- a high school student mate <laughs> well, <laughs> i'm like oh no this is 2007 this was the beginning of my career when i when wow. i started and i i was crunching wow. there was a lot of crunch so yeah, i would often so- play two three hours then it would have a week or two where i couldn't play at all because i was mm-hmm. working and then i jump back in and it was there was a lot of oh yeah that's where i left off so it wasn't i, I remember that now that i'm playing through it i'm like oh yeah that i thought this was in a later game because i played it so much later than this other sequence <laughs> right. and and the thing is i like because i played it in that way my memory of it is 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 like fragmented and when i start playing a scene as soon as i start playing the scene it's instantly familiar but the, like the second before like a mission launches, I could not tell you that this is the mission that's going to be that's going to start next, and that's such a f- weird feeling. I'm enjoying it because it's it's really like I'm playing it for the first time. It really is. Mm. The second thing that's odd is that all those things you said about Ashley, they're true. <laughs> <laughs> they're She's absolutely so true. Oh she is. But listen, I have uh, in my defense. This happened at a part in my life and a part of my career where I was like the discourse on, on, you know, racism and microaggressions and all those things was very different back then to in my life when I played this. Mm-hmm. And I, I, I'm pretty outspoken about this. I've given a few talks about it. Even in the industry, I was faced with a lot of microaggressions. I didn't know right. the word for it then, but all the time. I was on the defensive all the time. I was explaining, you know, uh, Arab culture and Islam on a, on a near weekly basis to a co-worker right. all the time. So for me, Ashley was normal. It was like, <laughs> she was like a coworker. And I was like, you know, who just said something like racist to me, who I have to go and say, no, right. you see, that's not the right way to say this. And this is not right. It did, She didn't stand out at all. And today's like today, my, my right. sensibilities today, I'm like, oh, did she just say that? Back then, right. it's like, oh, God, another one of those just right, didn't stand right. out at all. It's wild how many um, like little uh, little things like that, because I've been thinking about this, obviously, uh, a lot as well. You know that, that, that thing where everybody knows that I drink Coca-Cola? 
Yeah. <laughs> cane, cane, sugar, Coca-Cola. Uh, you know why that started? It's just a way for me to get people to stop offering me beer. <laughs> That's when yes. I started. I just started spreading the story that I only drink cane, sugar, Coca-Cola. <laughs> and that got so out of hand that at some point I only got cane, sugar, Coca-Cola wherever I went. And I was like, this is too much. This is too much Coca-Cola. <laughs> Yeah, it's the same thing where it's like, you know, as a, for me as a Muslim Arab, um, a lot of the industry is not really built for Arabs, let alone for Muslims. Uh, so, yeah, no, I recognize that. Uh, yeah. I remember I actually didn't used to like ginger ale as a kid. I started drinking ginger ale because when I used to go to these office parties, if you have <laughs> ginger ale in your cup, people assume it's alcohol and they stop offering you alcohol. Right. And right. I, I got to like ginger ale because I was drinking it so much. Like, I, okay, I acquired the taste. I thought, I thought ale was alcoholic, so I never drank ginger ale. <laughs> <laughs> there, there's this other thing. This is the funniest thing. Um, you know um, uh, avocado? Yes. So there's a Dutch-only liquor called Advocaat, which is it, it's almost spelled the same as avocado, except for there's a D in front of the first V. So Advocaat. Um and it's a very strong liquor. So for years, I thought people were having sandwiches with like strong liquor on it. <laughs> and I was so confused by people getting like an avocado sandwich. I'm like, man, it's, it's morning. Like, are you sure you want that? And they're like, yeah, no, it's like very fresh. I'm like, okay. Um, so for years, I didn't eat avocado because I thought it was liquor. <laughs> All right. I guess this is the episode of Tangent. So let me bring it back to games again. <laughs> That's totally okay. Well, you had Some a game. of the most you had a game interesting left, conversations. Right? Yeah, yeah, okay, yeah. Let's go. I did have one more game. So the other game I played is called uh, The Wild at Heart. Mm -hmm. It's it's a game that's on. Um, I'm playing it on Xbox Series X. It's on Game Pass. I had never heard of, about it before. I had never seen it before. It just popped up on my new and noteworthy on on Game Pass, and I'm like, I fell in love with the art before I even played it. I watched the trailer, and I'm like, this game is gorgeous. So. It's, it's a game that has a lot of different gameplay elements that we're used to, but it's it's greater than the sum of its parts. And the end result is, it's not exactly like anything I've ever seen before. It is a brand new experience. You are on an adventure, like the, the story is that you're a little kid and you're running away from home. That's like, this is not a really a spoiler. You figured this out in the first 10 seconds of, of the game. Then you like embark on this crazy quest um, and in, in this magical world, like without, you know, giving it, giving away too much. That's what it is. There's so much discovery. There's so much surprise in it from that point on. I go in blind. Cause that's what I did. I knew nothing about this. What's like, didn't know what the mechanics were going to be. Didn't know what the story was going to be. I didn't, the, the, the trailer, I didn't even finish it. I clicked it. I saw a little bit. I'm like, okay, I'm downloading this. I downloaded it. I played it. And if you don't know much about it, this is that's enough. I'll, I'll still talk a little bit more about the mechanics uh, uh, and whatnot, but I don't want to give anything away. The surprises are really cool. The 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 mechanics mainly it kind of mixes Pikmin because you have these little sprite type characters that eventually you pick up and you're able to throw at things with Luigi's Mansion because you have like this vacuum cleaner type uh, peripheral like a uh, uh, like device where you're able to suck them back when you throw these little Pikmin type sprites. Um, the artwork is gorgeous. The and there's a lot like it keeps shocking me. There's a day day night cycle, so when you're out in the in the forest, um, if you if you're out at night, 
uh, it gets dangerous and you have to get back to the base camp. Um, there, there's a, a heavy element of exploration. There's some Metrovania where you're you're going to unlock little abilities and and more sprite types later to unlock more new new uh, environments. The characters are charming. The ones that you encounter that you talk to, they're charming. Um, and in some cases, really really funny. The uh, the aesthetic is so it's pretty, crazy. right? Like, it's, it's just really, oh, really pretty. It is ridiculous. It's so so gorgeous. It's really good looking. It feels hand painted, like any screenshot. It's just the kind of game where you look at it and you're like, okay, an artist was creative lead on this. Like, there's no way it was not exactly. the artist that was creative lead on this. Exactly. I, I'm I'm really enjoying it. Like, my one, one of the first feedback that I that I had when I started playing it is that oh, the the combat is lacking. But I honestly, they could have made the whole game without combat, and it wasn't lacking. I just it was just you're you're intentionally not given the tools because you're supposed to use the sprites uh, to engage with everything. So they they're not going to make you like a badass. Um, like you know, they're not going to give you those tools on on the main character himself. So they made like good decisions. The one thing that happened uh, that I'm going to mention because I'm still a little bitter about it, but still not <laughs> the game is <laughs> just a little bit. So at one point, this is it's kind of my fault, but it was set up for this. At one point, I realized that you can throw these the Pikmin type sprites uh, just out of reach. Like when you throw them to vacuum them up with your vacuum cleaner, you have to step a little bit, like a pixel forward. Otherwise, you might not be able to retrieve them if they bounce off something and, and go a little bit further. And and there's no way to call them other than to suck them with, with your vacuum cleaner. So at one point, I'm like, wait a sec. What happens if you throw them out of reach and you need them to like unlock a path and you can't get any more? And I tried it and I got like stuck. And this, the, is, this is like Fauzi telling a story where he goes, like, you know what? I took my old car and I drove in a monsoon. <laughs> I can't believe the car, the car stopped. can't believe it. <laughs> it no, was raining like, and I still took the car out. And you know what? <laughs> to my surprise, it, broke. it stopped in the rain. <laughs> Who would have thought? <laughs> that aside, this game is a pure delay. Right. And it's one of the reasons I wasn't able to make so much headway into Mass Effect. It's because like I, I, I couldn't really put it down. Um, and the art style specifically, I don't, I don't know if you have ever heard of this studio, uh, but there's a studio, an Irish studio called Cartoon Saloon. It's kind of a European studio, but mostly Irish from what I understand. They make these beautiful animated movies. Um, they, they make Se- Secret of the Kells, if you've heard of it. No. They made, uh, no? Song of the Sea, which is my daughter's favorite. Um, they have a very unique art style. And this game kind of has an art style that's similar. They even made the, the Breadwinner, which actually takes place in Af- Afghanistan. Um, and it's, it's, a, it's a really good story as well. And they made um, another one that I watched recently with my kids, but I can't remember. It's, it has to do with wolves. Uh, How do I not know I was just about to say, this is all are. new stuff to me. I have seen Song of the Sea. Yes. Uh, you watch it or you've I've seen, seen it? No, I've seen the movie. I mean, like, I've watched the movie, <laughs> looked yes, at yes. the movie while it was playing. <laughs> the... <laughs> I, I was just clarifying that you didn't see it on Netflix and pass it by. Like, you recognize it. Let's scroll by it once. <laughs> no, no, I watched it. I, that it was really good. I, now I get what you're talking about. Yes, <laughs> having yes. seen one of those movies. Yes, and, uh, exactly. yeah, you're right. The art style is very similar. Yes, it really has that aesthetic. It has that feel. 
and what I love about I know we spoke about this a little bit last week as well. You know, there these coming of age movies, these like ch- children going on adventure movies that I absolutely love re- either rewatching or watching new ones with my kids because it gives you that sense of adventure and wonder. <laughs> Please. Sorry, like, I just had to, I, when I was editing last week's episode, there's a moment where yes. you're explaining those movies and I'm just confused because I've never seen anything. And at one point I go, <laughs> Lord of the Rings. And I just, I, you should have, you should have seen my face listening to myself ask Lord of the Rings. I was just like, oh my God, Rami. Really? Really? That's what you, that's what you came up with? It's kind of like that, but with less arch, yeah, right? right? Yeah. Yeah. It's one of the benefits. You can edit that stuff I, up, I, did, right? I did it. Yes, I did it. it was, <laughs> you did it. You I, kept I, it. I, would, I heard it again. I would feel very unfair taking out all the silly stuff I say, but then leaving your stuff, so... <laughs> but yeah, just to bring it back to that, watching these, I like these are movies of, uh, that uh, that were made recently. Some of them came out like last year or a few years ago, but they feel instantly nostalgic and instantly like movies I grew up with because they they have that that feeling of childhood just like in it. You know, it's just embedded in it. Um, that it takes me back to when I used to watch like cartoons as a kid. Uh, that that sense of wonder where you don't have you don't they don't follow a formula exactly you don't know what's going to happen next because you don't have that experience you don't have that you know like repertoire like you don't have that 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 uh library right you don't know that when the when the heroes all get beaten down by the bad guy that it's going to be okay two episodes later yes you're not quite sure yet yes like the megazord is on fire and you're like oh no how will the world ever be okay again <laughs> exactly and it's that... like they're gonna they're gonna have a second megazord that's cooler it's like that what kind of shows did you grow up watching or some well, okay, so I, I remember we watched, when I was really young, I was still uh, living in, in uh, the Arab Emirates, because after we left Iraq, we went to the Arab Emirates. I, my favorite two TV show, uh, to this day, I, I vaguely remember like the, the theme song. I must have been four or five when I watched it. Um, it was called Al-Layth Al-Abyad, which is oh. the, the White Lion. <laughs> yes. Simba. Kimba the Kimba, White Lion. Yeah. Kimba, yes, exactly. Yeah. Uh, which is the 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 TV show that inspired The Lion King and Simba. It's yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. Oh, there are a lot of parallels. That show is great, man. Yeah, I absolutely loved it. Um, that that was like probably the my defining uh, cartoon growing up. Uh, I, there were others too. There was another one um, that when I first came to to, to Canada um, uh, that I recognized because it. I remember it starting to like I had watched some episodes uh, that were dubbed in Arabic in the Emirates, and then it was the same show dubbed in French when I came here in Canada. So like the like it's weird to have that juxtaposition where you're watching one show and as a kid it switches languages in your head, especially from a language you knew well, which was Arabic at the time, to one that I was just learning. Um, it was uh, Rémi sans famille. I don't remember oh, the yeah, name yeah. Arabic. Yeah, yeah. Rémi you know in what Arabic. I'm yeah. Yes, yes. Yeah. So that's a show that, that played that transition in my life where I actually started watching the first uh, episodes in Arabic and the last ones in French. And it was a really dark show. So yeah. It was so dark. Oh, yes. uh, in, yeah. in, it was, in Dutch, it's called Alleen op de Wereld or Alone on the World. <laughs> <I'm> like, <sighs> yeah. 
But it's literally what it was. Yeah. It was about an orphan who lost his parents and had to like live with this old man and his like dogs. And then the old man dies, and the kid is all alone again. And all, like, all the spoilers on the show, but yes, it's, <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, it's, it's a forty-year-old show. This is like a hundred and fifty-year-old book. What are, <laughs> like I know we're careful with spoilers on the show, but I think after like after copyright expires, I think it's okay. <laughs> fair, fair. What about y'all? With, you know, no, a a lot of the shows we used to watch uh, growing up. So like we used to watch a lot of anime growing up, right. uh, yeah, Arabic, right. and yes. like a lot of them had that in common. Like Sally, Lady Lady, um, a bunch of Bugs animes. They were all about like an orphan trying to find their parents, and then yeah. things go miserable. It's actually yeah. one of the things I discovered when I went to Japan. Actually, is that this is something that um, the Arabs as well as uh, the French and the Italians. I think like a lot of stuff uh, South Europe um, from the same generation they grew up watching a lot of the same stuff mm-hmm. you know like mm-hmm. Captain Magic, Grindizer mm-hmm. um, yeah. all yeah. of this kind of stuff one of the things I used to do with my team in Japan uh, when we go out like you know uh, on a, a, a dinners or a drinks nights is that um, we, ha- we had this, <laughs> this drinking game um, I would um, I would uh, show them a photo of an anime I used to watch as a kid like here's Basit or here's um, a lethal appeal. <laughs> or here's like a Qariyatul Toot. Like just show them like a, a still picture of an anime I watched going up. And yep. then almost always one of them will go like, wow, furui, as in like very old. <laughs> and, then, and then they all start looking through their phones. And then like <laughs> the first person that discover what it's what it what it's actually called in Japanese wins and everybody else drinks. Right. <laughs> that was like That's a, so... a common a common theme. Because <laughs> I had like I discovered that I, I watched so many of them that I could I was able to like MC these nights like for a year. Wow. <laughs> That's incredible. I like had like you know 90 shows of like from the 70s or 80s anime that I could just show them a picture yeah. like oh what is that and then they start looking for it. Well, I've watched all the ones you just mentioned. I loved Grandizer. I I loved Captain Subat or Captain Magic. You know, I loved all these uh, cartoons growing up as I well. I was so but upset. So, I was so upset about Captain Subasa. I genuinely thought that was Arabic. Genuinely of thought it was I thought Arabic. they were all I, I genuinely thought all of them were right. Arabic. Like I did not know there was a thing as Japanese animation I no until idea. I rediscovered it in my like late teens or mid teens. What do you so mean? Like, oh my God. What do you mean his name is Tsubasa? Get out of here. <laughs> Exactly. Um, it's actually one, you of, know, one of like the, the interesting things is that um, because we've watched so much Japanese anime growing up, the first like uh, first time I traveled to Japan and even when I lived there, uh, whenever I go to an area, even an area that I've never been before, it feels nostalgic to me. Right. Which is strange. Mm. Like I've never been there before, but then like as I go there, it's, it's my childhood uh, watching all of these cartoons. A lot of these places are very nostalgic. Mm. I wonder what a Japanese Arab would think of, <laughs> you know, <laughs> now that like seeing Captain Tsubasa and then you know going to the Arab world and seeing Captain Magic is being like all the names are wrong. <laughs> I really like so Captain Magic. One one of the things. Um, uh, uh, it's, it's, it's very funny for me. It's like there was one of these um, animes called Sanchero. I don't know if you guys uh, watched that as a kid. No. It's an anime in which like uh, kids control small robots using their computers, and the robots wrestle each other. And there's tournaments about that. I, don't know. I know that. That anime, robot wars. That anime. Well, 
not that. No, it's called San San Shiro. It was very popular. Okay, I looked it up and it, I have seen it. I have yes, seen it. It's... It was very popular in the Middle East and Italy, but apparently it uh, it just tanked in Japan. Huh. <laughs> so like uh, when I was there, it was almost impossible to find like any action figures or anything uh, for for the show. Wow. But it's like oh. you know. Um, uh, when, when they like when they know that it's super popular in the Middle East, it's like uh, kind of kind of interesting. Um, we had a, we really had an event once in Jordan, which we invited uh, Nagai Go, who is the creator of uh, Mazinger and Grindizer, mm-hmm. um, ov- huh. over to Jordan. Huh. Uh, the company that I was working at at the time uh, uh, organized it. Uh, so he signed a whole bunch of stuff for us. It, it was a really cool uh, event. He was blown away by <laughs> how many people uh, like know his stuff, uh, like you know, ca- like can sing the song. And uh, yeah, Grindizer was like, huge. Right. No, all the moves. Grindizer man was like like the biggest thing ever. It's like a, yeah, it's a cartoon that defined a generation, as far yeah. as I could tell. So he was like received the the reception of heroes. Uh, he did not expect that at all. He's like, <laughs> at home they kind of like this, but here, yeah, he's like you know, I got to like I'm in Jordan. He's like you know, like I'm gonna show. He was like uh, part of the show was he's gonna talk a bit about his history and then show an episode of his latest messenger, um, which at the time was 2006 or something like that. Um, mm-hmm. So latest is now a bit old. Um, so he thought like he was telling me he was like I expected like I'll see 15 people maybe 20 right and then like and then like he walks into this auditorium with like 500 people <laughs> like- and he's like today at least 9 people spoke Japanese to me and I was like yeah <laughs> that is lovely That's incredible it's really nice to be abroad often that yeah. happens yeah yeah I'm curious how often that happens. I mean, so much Japanese made it around the world, like to the Arab world in particular, but like also to the Netherlands. It was probably probably a lot of my a lot of stuff that I could watch both in Dutch and in Arab was just Japanese stuff, right? Yeah, absolutely. Um, American animation that that was that was an odd thought. Popular in in the Arab world. (laughs) Like I'm thinking of all the Japanese cartoons, and I didn't see those. Those were only in the Netherlands, never in the Arab world. Yeah, yeah the, right. the anime stuff took over. Right. Like we got like you know Ninja Turtles and stuff like that. Like um, yeah. those were kind of universal. Right. But um, yeah. compared to that, and like you know, like Ninja Turtles are cool, but like at Shijana Thalatha, we're three, <laughs> three friggin' robots <laughs> that combine and make a one giant robot. Yeah. And, and they're just turtles. I can't remember. You know? <laughs> Did. Did Power Rangers make it over to the Arab world? I can't remember why I watched that. I'm trying to place it in the Netherlands or in Egypt, and I can't figure it out. wasn't wasn't that big. It wasn't that big, Power right? Rangers. It didn't make it. There was the anime that inspired that. Uh, also, was huge in the Middle East called Voltron. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 Voltron, Voltron. That was it. Yeah, that's what happened. Voltron yeah, was yeah. big in the Middle East, and Power Rangers was big in the Netherlands. That's what happened. Yeah. I had Voltron toys too. You so, know, do you, so do you remember the Power that Rangers? Sorry, Power Rangers were like inspired by um, uh, the Kamen Rider series, yes, which is like the Japanese exactly. thing. And the Kamen Rider series were inspired a lot by Ultraman. Um, yes. And Ultraman uh, has a variation that made it to the Middle East under Arajul Hadidi. Oh. oh that's not so <laughs> you, guys, you guys should Google that because Arajul Hadidi is, uh, was, was massive. Because <laughs> I it's love basically, the name. 
<laughs> a dude, it's like, like Roger man. Hadid is a giant dude in like uh, a Power Rangers like outfit that is fighting dinosaurs as they're destroying cities. Huh. Roger Hadid is is the bomb, man. It's so cool. Also, you can find <laughs> the entire thing on YouTube in Arabic. Nice. <laughs> <laughs> okay, that's on so, my wish list. As a, yeah, absolutely. Uh, as a fellow fan of fighting games, um, Fauzi. Yep. Do you remember Tatsunoko versus Capcom? Of course. So Tatsunoko versus Capcom had half Capcom characters and half Japanese animations that were supposed to obscure that they didn't want to release in the United States because they didn't think they would know them. And to my shock, half of them were from cartoons that I used to watch dubbed in Arabic and that I just didn't know their Japanese names. So that was yeah. a really interesting, like, um, you know, blast from the past, uh, as they say. Uh, yeah. do, like, did you have the similar experience? Oh yeah, absolutely, man. I know a lot yeah. of those characters. Yeah, <laughs> like June the Swan, like all the uh, the the uh, what's it Thunderbirds? What were they called? I don't remember. But they had a Thunder, whole bunch of those Thunderbirds, but they had a different name in Arabic. I forgot what it's called. Yeah. Thunderbirds. Yeah, yeah. I watched the Thunderbirds, but I don't think you're talking about the Thunderbirds now. Maybe it's not the Thunderbirds. It was it was similar though. It's other bird type uh, anime characters that went into space. Yeah. Uh, the Thunderbirds I watched was a bunch of Brits with spaceships. Um, oh, no, then it's, it's probably a different show. No. Yeah, no. <laughs> Very good series, though, by the way. If you haven't watched the Thunderbirds, it's really good. It's, oh, no, the, the one we're talking no, about is a bunch same. of people right. in white tights and helmets. That sounds, that yes. somehow it sounds oh, better. Silver, maybe Silverhawks. Uh, I think I mixed up uh, Thunderbirds with Thundercats. Right. They're made from the same <laughs> or something. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, will, I, I I used to have the Thunderbirds Island as a toy. That was good stuff. One of my favorite animes growing up um, that I watched is called Jazeera Tilkans or Treasure Island, mm. um, which is basically the Robert Louis Stevenson book, but with a, with a Japanese twist. Oh, boy. In- incredible show. And I rewatched it again three years ago, and it absolutely holds up. Like, oh, yeah. it's, it's good. It's 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 solid. Wow. I'm starting to feel like if people are, you know, like if people have listened to this episode, their list of TV series is like the same way <laughs> you two usually feel when I'm done talking about indie games. Because this, the, we just have 25 different TV series we've mentioned this uh, from the yes. Animatrix <laughs> to Captain Magic. It's like there's something for everybody. Um, 70s anime, right? Like we, it's just a 70s anime episode. I mean, you know, if you were an Arab kid, there's no way around it. You probably watched anime. So, Arab kids listening to this, or like Arab uh, Arab people watching or listening from our generations, they're they're really nostalgic. Right. right now, right? <laughs> yes. Yeah. yes. Well, let's give people yes. some time to deal with their nostalgia then and look up some of these series. Uh, I think this is a good <laughs> point to wrap it up for today because uh, my my paper is full. I don't have more space for more <laughs> notes. Like I'm I'm out of I'm out of notes. <laughs> good uh, i think we're gonna wrap it up for that um if for everybody listening uh, do join us at the discord that is at discord.thehabibis.com um you know subscribe to the podcast listen to earlier episodes you know come join us uh, thanks so much for being here and uh salam. salam salam that was the habibis podcast for this week i was rami ismail your host for this episode you can find me on twitter at t-h-a underscore rami my fellow Habibis were Osama Dorias, who you can find on Twitter at Osama Dorias. And Fauzi Musmar, 
who you can find on Twitter at Fauzi Mesmar. Send us your questions, stories, and suggestions via info at thehabibis.com. The intro and outro music was provided by Malik Zubaida, and the logo was provided by Ibrahim Hamdi. The Habibis is a weekly podcast about three game developers drinking good Arab tea, with new episodes launching every Friday, inshallah. If you enjoyed the show, don't forget to subscribe on your favorite podcasting service or check out thehabibis.com for more information. Thank you for listening, and salam.